everyone. Uh, my name is Mark LeBlanc and I serve as the chairman of Indie Books uh, International, a uh, publishing company headquartered out of Southern California, along with my business partner, uh, Henry DeVries. Welcome to our uh, video podcast uh, episode uh, for this week, where we interview somebody and we normally do an author's roll call and we will actually do that again uh, hear this, but uh, first and foremost, at Indie Books, in fact, there's no there's no end to uh, where you could go to get support and encouragement and education on how to self-publish uh, your own book. Quite frankly, we think that self-publishing is a bit of a dirty uh, term uh, in the publishing world. We think that there's so much more uh, uh, to self-producing a book or, or what we like to think of as writing the right book. Because even though we publish books for emerging uh, business authors or authors who come to us who already have a, a collection of books under their belt, um, while we want you to sell books, our philosophy is writing the right book is more about having your book be a gateway to doing more of what you want to do, whether it's more coaching uh, relationships, more consulting engagements, more training programs, uh, more keynote speeches, that uh, whether it's a $20 or $10 book, that it becomes that gateway for that next sale. And so our philosophy is not you should write a book, our philosophy is you want to write the right book. And with that, um, I want to open it up to our author's uh, roll call where uh, each uh, uh, participant here today will have just a moment to introduce themselves and where they are from. And either uh, their book just completed or a book that they're working on or possibly uh, their next book. And I'm going to call on uh, David, and then Mason, and then John. Thanks, Mark. Hi, I'm, I'm David Goldman, and I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I wrote the book, The Road to Happiness, How to Get What You Really Want. And I'm very excited about my upcoming book. The working title is Bringing in the Business. All right. Thank you, David. Mason. Sure. Hi. Thank you, Mark. My name is Mason Harris. I am the author of The Chutzpah Advantage, Go Bigger, Be Bolder, Do Better. Um, it has been a pleasure working with the uh, Indie Book family, um, learning a great deal. And uh, even today's uh, post uh, that came out in regard to co-authoring has some immediate resonance for uh, things that I'm doing. Uh, thank you, Mason. John? My name is John Salika. I live in Memphis, Tennessee. I have 11 different title options for the book that I have still mostly in my head, and it's on trust. So I'm just for basically it's building trust in organizations. Thank you, John. I'm going to go to Henry. So, hi, I'm Henry DeVries, CEO of Indie Books International, Chief Encouragement Officer. And I'm the author of Persuade with a Story, which is my trifecta title. 
So we mean it works as a speech title. I give, I speak to thousands of people a year on Persuade with a Story, um, including some bookings in Memphis next year. Thanks, John. And you can email me at henry at persuadewithastory.com or you can visit the website persuadewithastory.com which is the model that uh, Devin DeVries and I created for authors for an author website that can serve you as a media um, packet and introduction to meeting planners. So really looking forward to hearing Barbara today. All right, thank you, Henry. Uh, Dr. Carey. Hi guys, I'm Dr. Carey coming to you from Denver, Colorado. And my book, which Henry just sent me the final type, the final cover choices today. So I get to choose between them. I'm very excited. But my book title is Self-Help on the Go, 99 Tactics for Life Success. Because you're not broken, but sometimes life gets awful tricky. Oh, nice. Thank you, Dr. Carey. And uh, Chris. Um, hello, everybody. Hopefully you can hear me. My name is Chris Hodges. Dr. Carey and I should get together because we both live in Denver. Um, my book, which is right over my shoulder and the new title, which are the new cover, which I hope everybody likes, is Noble Automation Now. And that's about innovating, motivating and transforming your business with intelligent automation. It's how to do automation without terrifying your employees and doing great things. All right. Thank you, Chris. Good to see you again. You too, Mark. And for those of you that are not familiar with me, my name is Mark LeBlanc out of Minneapolis. I am currently working on book number six. And that book is titled uh, Rainmaker Confidential that I am co-authoring with Scott Love and, and Henry DeVries. And we're very excited uh, that should be in hand um, before Thanksgiving. <clears throat> But now uh, to the main event, I'm thrilled we've got a very special guest. I guess every guest is a very special guest. I think that seems to be the opening line every time you introduce somebody. But we do have uh, a special guest uh, here for this episode. Her name is Barbara Fulmer. And her topic is first have no plan. I remember meeting a woman once, not Barbara, uh, but a number of years ago, and she wrote a book titled, A Man is Not a Plan. And uh, uh, I'm not sure she went very far uh, with that book and that program, but uh, I'm excited to hear about first have no plan, as I tend to be a business development guy wanting to make sure that people do have some sense of a plan or where they wanna go in terms of growing their business. But a little bit about Barbara. Barbara is a career coach, a ghost writer, and the author of First Have No Plan, a contrarian's guide to finding your perfect career path. As a master trainer and speaker, she helps others find their place in the world of work and maximize the performance of individuals and teams using techniques developed as head of training for Toshiba, Nestle, Jenny Craig, and United Health Group. Her collaborative style motivates others to take ownership and to find their uh, career path or their perfect path 
resulting in higher performing individuals, teams, and organizations. Barbara, welcome to this episode of our podcast, Marketing with a Book. Thank you, Mark. That was wonderful. Wow, I sounded good. You did sound good. <laughs> and, and I think that everybody, uh, like me, uh, first wants to just know a little bit, who are you? Well, that's a good question. Henry and I have been trying to figure that out. <laughs> and who am I has a lot to do with why I'm writing this book. Um, the, and I think I'll probably answer that, at the who am I question as we go through this podcast, because um, my, my choice of writing a book called First Have No Plan really comes from my career that never had a plan, yet I understood somewhere along the line that you don't need a plan, you need development of your career plan, your career path. So it's an organic situation. So, and I, I began really working at, um, at a printing shop. It was a really high-end lithography, fine four-color printing shop. Mm -hmm. And it belonged to my fiance at the time. And he got me a job as a receptionist. I was probably 18 or 19. And I thought, whew, this is it. I had a I was out in the lobby. I had the glass all around me. The know-it-all in me really came into play there that I, I realized I am. And it was wonderful for about four years. And then I tired of it mm -hmm. and decided, you know, mm, there's got to be more. So I talked to the sales manager and asked him if there was anything else that would be suited for me at this company. He said, absolutely. You could get into sales. You've got that personality. You will do this. And those conversations went on for two years and nothing ever happened. So finally, one night I was talking to my fiance and I'd never shared with him that I was unhappy and that I, I didn't know what to do about it. It was my first real job. And he looked at me and like almost started laughing and said, you know, you can quit, right? And I was like, I can? No, apparently I didn't. I had no idea you could actually quit, which sounds so insane. But my dad never quit his job. He was with the same company forever. He was always with Coors Brewery. Um, my neighbor, I knew him, my uncle, they all had the same jobs forever. And I felt so uncertain about that to make that change, but it was the best thing I could have done because it started me on a different path of getting to know myself better and uh, really learning other, other uh, businesses, other skills I had. And part of not having a plan at first, not first, no plan is that too many people get out of college or not even out of college and take a job or have a plan that really they don't even know themselves yet. They're young, they're inexperienced, they don't know their skill, their knowledge level, they don't know what they're capable of. And the most successful careers are, and I like to say, um, when you find your purpose, which is kind of corny, but Gary Zukov, an author, he's got four New York Times bestsellers, has a, a saying that I just love, and it suits this book so well, and that is, 
that your purpose comes into play when your personality is in full service of your soul. So your soul is like who you are here to be and what's natural for you. And when your personality that has developed over time is in service of that, that happens to me when I'm speaking, when I'm on a stage. I, was, I, I had a box in my garage and had a stage in my garage when I was a young girl, when I was like six, seven, eight, whenever I, I could get an audience. So there's that. And I apologize for the flickering on my camera. I'm gonna, when, when you're talking next, I'm gonna switch over to a different setup. Um, but that, that kind of was the beginning of my thinking about, well, I don't have to make a choice and stay with it the rest of my life. And I think one of my first training jobs, which was to help others find their place in the world of work, helped me out because mm -hmm. One of, the, one of the activities we had for that group, because this was a group who had just learned they had lost their job. They were getting laid off. Some of them would still have a job for six months, but they knew in six months, the job would be gone. So they, every day I would, that I had a new class, I would ask the class if they'd chosen or fallen into the job that they currently had at this company they were leaving. Mm. And, it was interesting. It, it helped me at that stage because I was about to help them find their next step. And those who chosen their job pretty much wanted to stay in the same field because that's what they knew and that's what they did. May not right. have been what they liked, but that's what they knew and that's what they were doing. The people who fell into it were like, no, I, I want to go over here and do something else and find something else. Um, so. Barbara? Yes, I'm going to I'm going to break to commercial here. Thank you. Um, and you can work on that a little bit. I'm going to go to commercial break and I'm going to call on Henry um, if he would share for a moment about our fall fling here at the end of October. Thanks, Mark. Every year we have our IFF forum and we had it virtually this past March. After the forum, many of our authors came to us and said, we can't wait to do this for a whole year. So we agreed to do a virtual event. It's gonna be October 29th. And there are many speaking opportunities still available that you can be an author with us and speak at the event. We'll record that. We'll turn it into a video to help you promote your book. Also, we'll have expert speakers coming in who are authors, some are Hall of Fame speakers, and they'll be teaching us the business of being a successful consultant author speaker. So you can go to the iff-forum.com website for more information, or just email henry at indiebooksintl.com, and I'll get you information to sign up for one of those speaking slots. Back to you, Mark. All right. Thank you, Henry. That is www for World Wide Web, iff-forum.com. Uh, uh, I'm sure Suzanne will put it uh, also uh, in the chat box. But um, please check it out and consider joining us for the Fall Fling on Friday, October 29th for a full day event. Um, part, of, part of what uh, why I get so excited about this new fall fling 
is that it's a great opportunity to see a variety of short type talk presentations ranging from five to 15 minutes. And um, you will learn from uh, masters uh, who are prepared and you will also learn lessons from people who do not uh, take these short talks as seriously as they might have. Um, so uh, plenty of opportunities to learn not only great strategies, ideas and practices that you can put uh, into motion, but also to observe uh, what makes the great speakers great and what makes the emerging speakers um, think that maybe they should have prepared a little bit more. But we learn uh, from each and every uh, one of them. And of course, our, our forum is a weekend in La Jolla in early March. So join us for that. Uh, which is an amazing business development weekend for uh, speakers helping speakers and authors helping uh, other authors do more of the good work that they feel called and compelled to do. And so enough with commercial break. Let's get back to Barbara. Barbara, are you with us? Yes, I am. I apologize about that. This is what happens when you buy a new camera. Uh, no worries at all. We're just happy to have you with us. Thanks for your patience. You're welcome. Barbara, I want to go back to that first job that you had. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to talk about how, uh, I mean, when we think about first job, I mean, I was, I was, uh, I had a job once for about six months. And uh, after six months, I was inspired by the two words, you're fired. And I made a vow at 21 that I would do whatever it would take to make it on my own. And I have. It hasn't always been easy. I've had the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great over the last 39 years. Um, I blinked and I went from 21 to 60. But when you think back to that period with that position and you didn't know that you could quit, how did fear? factor uh, into your thinking or your mindset? Sure. Uh, good question. And fear did, um, I think, uppermost in my mind, uh, the number one fear was letting down my future family. I was going to marry the son of the owner and I worked for the owner. I became his assistant over time. So I was very afraid of disappointing and letting down. It was about them, not me, for the most part. And uh, I, looking back on it, after I, after I made the move and I left, I really didn't have fear in the moment of what was next. I just knew I was unhappy and I couldn't keep doing this because I wasn't growing. And this was, you know, I was probably 25, 26 by now. And um, I really didn't give a lot of thought <laughs> to at the time because I, I just had never uh, chosen to leave a job before. And I think I was feeling once he, he my fiance helped me overcome the fear of the family dynamic. Um, I personally didn't have fear of not finding a job. 
which would be well, the fear you would have, I would assume. Yeah, that I know. So what, what, where did you go from there? Well, that was the interesting thing. <laughs> so I, um, I actually was not working for a while because uh, I, it took me a while to find something. Over on the side for years, my girlfriends and I had been gathering once a month for lunch, wine, salads would bring lunch, but we also would have a guest speaker that would come to one of our homes. There were probably 10 of us. And years before, one of our friends brought someone named Reverend Linda, and we never knew <laughs> what she was a reverend of. But Reverend Linda began teaching us how to unlock our intuitive selves, how to understand ourselves better and others. And this went on and she would teach something different each week. She would teach um, how to read tarot cards. She would read, but she had very unscary looking tarot cards with pictures of the space shuttle and little children and balloons on them. She would teach us how to uh, hold something of someone else's and see if we can pick up any energy from them or or thought. So it was it was fun and entertaining because this was the girls having wine at lunch once in a month, once a month. And I started playing with the tarot cards and thought, well, these are fascinating because I love the idea of the archetypes because they're universal. Um, Carl Jung used to work with archetypes such as this. And um, I so on one hand, I'm starting to struggle to find a job. On the other, I'm very entertained by my tarot cards when my girlfriend called and said, um, you need to call the Oaks in Ojai, which was a famous spa. They're looking for a psychic. And I said, I don't know any psychics. And she said, you're the psychic. You say you're a psychic. And I'm like, I'm not a psychic. I'm just a girl reading cards because I like them. I'm reading the intelligent way. And she said, they always have a psychic that uh, comes in and is available for their guests. And you can make cash money doing this. I thought, hmm, yeah, cash money. So she said, just tell me you're a psychic. Just say the word and get over it. And I was like, oh, I'm Catholic. I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be saying this word out loud. So I... I called the Oaks in Ohio and I remember because I had a wall phone in my kitchen. I had my pajamas on and I called, I asked for the program director and the program director said, um, I said, this is Barbara Fulmer. I'm a psychic. <laughs> and she said, oh, we just hired someone. We needed someone, but we just got someone. However, our spa in Palm Springs, our sister spa, the Palms in Palm Springs, is looking for someone. And I said, great. She said, well, here's the name. Give them my name. Tell them I told you to call. And all's good. And I was like, okay. You know, what kind of great referral that was, giving me her name to say she said to call. I, I, thought, you're, I, thought, I thought you were going to say you already knew the name. The name of the person to call. Oh, I should. Oh, you're too quick for me. <laughs> that was good. I knew it all already. The, the other, the other one was when when she said, "Oh, we just hired someone." 
Well, I, I knew that. I knew that, but <laughs> you're, yeah, yeah, I should have been there. She also said to me before I hung up with her, she said, um, are you a speaker? <laughs> Today I, was, I am. I was like, yes, yes, I am. She said, okay, be sure to tell them that you're a speaker. Okay, I hung up. I dialed the number. She answered the phone. I said, this is Barbara Fulmer. I'm a psychic and a speaker, like a double liar now. And she said, oh, thank God. We've been looking for someone. Can you come out tomorrow night, which would have been Saturday? We have about 90 guests. Your role would be to come in and be the after dinner entertainment. So we need you to speak on a subject for about an hour to our guests. And she said, uh, I said, she said to me, what is your topic? And I said, well, what is your favorite topic for your guests? And she said, well, anything about balance. And I said, oh, balancing your life is one of my most popular. So we got that down, of course. So um, I showed, and then she said, we will give you your night in the spa, private room. The next day we will give you a meeting room all day for you to read cards. After dinner, have a sign-up sheet and uh, come up with your, you know, bring your pricing and you, what is it an hour, a half hour? I said, I offer both. I like to make everybody happy. And I went and did that. And I ended up marketing myself to every health spa in Southern California and Mexico. Because on Tuesdays, I was in Rancho La Puerta in Tecate, Mexico, just across the border. But I did, I became Madame Barbara. I embodied this psychic speaker woman. I love, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was speaking to these people about balancing their life. And because I've never been a speaker, I was, I went to Staples, Office Depot, whatever they had at that time. And I got a flip chart on a stand. I invested in this future. And I thought, well, I can't have notes. I can't be, you know, looking at meeting notes here or speaker notes. So um, I wrote balance down the side of the uh, flip chart and came up with something to talk about. It started with B and then something to talk about. It started with A. And I got it done and I did that almost every night. I was in Lake Elsinore at the Grove. I, I was at Calavie and La Vista near uh, Henry and I was all over the place. It, for two years, I did this. Yeah. You know, a, a psychic using notes is probably a credibility breaker, <laughs> uh, but, but developing an acronym, brilliant. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, I've been in the National Speakers Association now for 38 years, and you'd be amazed at how many people became a speaker just by saying, hi, I, I, I'm a speaker. Right. Um, and, yes, and that's good sudden, to hear. All of a sudden, overnight, you were a psychic, you were a speaker, and <laughs> an entertainer. That's exactly right. And, and the interesting thing is, at the end of that run, um, when I was thinking, I you know, I should probably go legit one of these days and not just live as Madame Barbara, which at the during those two years, I also reached out to meeting planners 
and this was at the suggestion of other people. I did not come up with these ideas because I didn't know how to do this. And I started doing a lot of big corporate events where I was Madam Barbara at the table in the room and they would come up and I would read their cards. And I did a lot of grad nights, a lot of proms, a lot of, I worked with uh, American Express, their party. I read Michael Milken's cards. I actually pulled out of my hat how long he was gonna be in prison or how long his term was gonna be. I don't know how that happened. But um, I use it as my credibility builder. (laughs) Yeah. So Um, it was, some made me wear a turban too. Wow. Um, Now, now I want to, I want to, a little, little more detail. This is after the printing job? Yes. So if if I'm following the timeline, you're in your uh, late 20s? Yes. Psychic in her late twenties, traveling all over Southern California. Right. Um, can um, do you remember Barbara the the very first person that sat across the table from you and you were going to read his or her cards or whatever the the language is? How much did you charge for that first client? I charged $60 for an hour reading and 35 for half. Now, my guess is, is that that's a little bit more than you were making per hour at the printing company. A little bit, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, just a little bit. And it was cash. And it was cash. From a speaking perspective, did you find yourself on, did you, did you start doing keynote speeches? Uh, you know, what was your feast or your first speech speech? Well, that's that's a good question because that followed shortly after. Um, although, uh, when I was, I want to I want to hold that thought for a moment because the segue to training was the next. Uh, right after, if we're in order here, which we don't have to be, Uh, but it was a fascinating jump to corporate training from, so I I didn't go straight to speaking, let's put it that way. I didn't go straight to being a speaker. I went to corporate training and that was because a friend of mine had called and said, I just saw this woman speaking at my HR certificate course at UCI. She reminded me of you she and her sister have this outplacement service that they do all the training. They need a third trainer. Their clients are Allergan, Arco, big, big clients. And they need someone to come in and train these people that have lost their jobs, as I was speaking of earlier. So um, I, showed, I thought, mm, I've never done anything like that. The closest I've come is standing up at these spas and making up things to talk about on a flip chart. So I showed up and I failed to hear my friends say it's a group interview. So there were like 40 people in the room and it was set up in two sections with an aisle down the middle. And I, you know, Let's be straight. I hadn't worn pantyhose in like two years and I broke those out so I could look a little more corporate for this situation. And I 
sat down toward the back on an aisle so I could make a fast getaway. And I listened to what they were saying. And I thought, hmm, you know, this is this is kind of cool. Eight hours of training, but they would teach you and uh, some things. But they asked for everyone to stand up, introduce themselves, and tell us what you're doing now. And I sat there in the back listening as they reached, got closer to me. And it was, I'm vice president of training at Hogue Hospital. I'm chief learning officer at whatever. I'm head of training at Western Digital. And I'm thinking, I, I got nothing. I, I've got, I should have, I should have brought my turban. So it's getting close to me. And I'm thinking, just pull it together, girl. Just stand up and be you and hmm. I stood up and I said, my name is Barbara Fulmer and nothing else came out because a lady in the other section jumped out of her seat and said, you're Madam Barbara. You read my cards and my daughters at the Palms and Palm Springs. And everybody turned around to look and I was like, oh dear Lord, I've been called out here. I mean, I didn't want to be Madam Barbara in that room. I was trying to go legit. And everybody is, you know, hi, like waving at me, like, and I it's like, hi, hi, and I just, I sat down. At the end, they said anybody that is interested in uh, coming in and doing a practicum, like a five minute teachable moment for them, sign up. So I went up, stood tall, signed up. Thank them very much. Didn't mention the incident. And I left. And I got a call back to come and do a practicum. I did that. And I got the job. Because I kept going. I still to this day know it, you know, it's up to me. It's always up to me if I'm going to, you know, proceed, uh, proceed in a positive way, if I'm going to go after something, if I'm going to just stay where I am. I could have just crawled in a hole after that because I really wanted to. Sure. But um, but I am Madam Barbara, <laughs> so I, you know. Barbara, um, you went, if, if I'm tracking, you went from uh, being afraid of your family's expectations and um, what others might think of you, it seems like you trotted across the bridge to no fear and just and just go with whatever was what whatever you were faced with. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that happened, but I think getting my legs under me after I left the printing company and having stood up and said, it, it's just not a good fit for me right now. And I, I kind of spoke my truth. I was kind. I was, I was so grateful for what they had given me in that job when I was hired, but now it's time for me to move on. Um, I, I had made enough phone calls and introductions to me to other people who were hiring to start getting more confidence. Um, even if I didn't have the experience, I was getting good feedback from the people I was interviewing with, which was really helpful. And, um, and I think those two years, uh, you know, I was, it started shaky 
as Mana Barbara with my my speech on the flip charts and all of that. But um, I brought my my boombox with my music with the soundtrack from out of Africa that calms me down and I had it in the room where I read the cards every time and yeah I actually could it played for like 10 hours in that room and I would drive home from Palm Springs to Newport Beach and I could hear it in my head the whole way and then one night I was like this is ridiculous and I stopped to get gas and I looked in the back seat and it was still on and the bait was actually playing I was actually hearing it Barbara, let's fast forward to your book. Um, yes. Tell us about your book, First Have No Plan, and why, why this book and why now? Um, I think why, I think we all have that book in us. Many of us have a book in us, and many of us have had other people say, you have got to write this book. Um, I started a couple years ago, really when I came across a statistic from the Department of Labor that said that 51% of Americans are unhappy, dissatisfied in their job. And I thought, man, half the people I'm working with are unhappy in their job because I'm, I learned with the printing job to move along when I was unhappy, not to start, work out, see if I can do anything else here. And if not, I'm moving on. Um, so that statistic kind of threw me. And then I started thinking about writing a different book first. And it was really, um, it was called Every Job Counts. That's what I was thinking. I wanted people to know that every single thing you do rolls up to the next one if you'll just pay attention, if you will be present and take responsibility and own what you're doing. If you're unhappy, you know, the TGIF thing can sometimes really annoy me because if it's about, we're having a big barbecue this weekend, well, thank God it is Friday because now we can have our barbecue and that's a good thing. But most of the time I feel like it's be TGIO, you know, thank God it's over for the week. I'm done, I can leave. I don't have to do that anymore and I, uh, it makes me sad for people whose lives are filling space and not taking advantage of where they are, who they work with, the friends they have, the, the colleagues they've met to have those conversations. So all of that sort of led me, and then Henry found me as he does, he digs us up. And uh, I think he found me on LinkedIn. Did you not, Henry? On LinkedIn, I think is where you found me. I'm just some guy you met on the internet. Well, don't tell. I was going to see he's trouble. So, yes, um, I had just gotten bold enough on LinkedIn to change my profile so that it said aspiring author. I put it out there and it happened that uh, Henry was getting ready for his um, seminar at UCI. And I live like 15 minutes from University of California, Irvine. And he reached out to me. And I think he saw that, I think you must have sorted by author 
and uh, found me. So I went to that and I was, I was so impressed with this concept uh, because I loved my speaking career when I had it because I did slot it in these years. I had a wonderful speaking career. I wanted that back and I wanted to write this book but I had no idea I could do that together. You know, that they could really connect and support each other. So um, that fueled me. It took almost a year probably for me to reach back out to Henry, but um, does that answer your question? Oh, it, I kind it, of... it, it sure does. And you said something that I, that I thought was really quite profound. I wonder if we should embrace TGIO um, yeah. just as a concept for uh, ending a job or uh, ending, I, I had a client say once uh, not long ago, he said, uh, I said, how are you doing? He said, Mark, I just had a, a good client uh, became a perfect client because they're no longer a client. And, and we, had a, we had a good chuckle over that. It's like, thank God it's over. Um, uh, with that relationship. I, I think you're right. on to something here. I mean, interesting. Yeah. Bar Barbara, you have what I, what we call the makings, you have a philosophy um, that you are sharing with people and, um, and I'm excited to know more about it. Um, and forgive me, I want to circle back to, sure. um, because I think that as a, as a speaker, um, I'm curious to know about your keynote speaking career. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I have a note here that if we didn't get to that, I'm to say, Henry said I have to tell this story. <laughs> so I just want you to know <laughs> we're all on the same page with this story. So, um, and it's in the book, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So uh, I was, I'd been working for Jenny Craig and I ended up moving out. I was head of training there and I was, I was not necessarily happy about it for many reasons. And the president who, who had come to work the day before I did at Jenny Craig, he was, he had come from the hospitality industry. And um, he said, I think we need to start a corporate wellness program. And I was like, that, that's a broad time. What are you talking about for Jenny Craig? Because we were, you know, uh, prepared meals and a, a mandatory 50 to 20 minute consultation once a week. And he said, no, I think we should just market our program to the large insurance plans and employers with more than a thousand employees. Sorry, I'm not looking at the camera. Suzanne is probably taking notes on that. Um, so... I went out to do that. And in doing that, I went to a lot of healthcare events, primarily in DC. And Jenny Craig was, was gracious enough and, and I think savvy enough to start supporting me in the beginning, being a breakout speaker, at, because it's costly at these. And this was National Business Group on Health, which is one of the biggest uh, organizations with a lot of employers in it. And I had this side hustle at the time, <laughs> comes as no surprise, I'm sure. I had this side hustle that was called corporate games. And I used audience response keypads for groups 
to actually, at the end of the day, get some good marketing insights into their their product, their market, whatever, by virtue of playing a game, a big screen game show. So I would play a game show. I was the uh, MC and I would ask questions and they would compete and everybody had a great time. Every table had a different color and then would show the standings. And then in between there would be content that would be delivered that was real and then would have questions, trivia questions about the industry. At the end, every single employer got a CD with that data on it. And it was, it was sliced and diced by uh, what the job level was of the person answering it. So it was a cool concept. They were able to, Jenny Craig supported me in becoming the keynote at the National Business Group on Health doing that gig. So I brought in my, um, what do you call it? I just said it. <laughs> the, the keypads, the wireless keypads for everyone in the group. And we had, I think at this meeting, probably it was over a thousand people or 1500 wow. that comes to those. And it was just fantastic. It was so good. They brought me back the next year as keynote. There it was the lunchtime keynote. And I thought, I'm loving this up here. And I was doing other corporate games, small gigs around, but I wanted to be on the stage. I wanted to be the, the uh, keynote. So I thought I left Jenny Craig shortly after that. I was living on Long Island and I thought, hmm, I guess if I'm gonna be a keynote, I probably need a speech. And so I called the PR director who had just left Jenny Craig. And I said, you know what I wanna do? Here's the idea. It was gonna be very outcome study, data-driven, uh, but with my humor in it, we were, it was the economic impact of an unhealthy workforce. That was the title. And she wrote it in like two weeks, sent it to me. And in the meantime, I was calling, I decided I didn't know how to market a speech. So at that time, speakers bureaus were a big deal who I, I didn't know anything about. So I just, luckily Google was around, I think at that time. And I looked up speakers bureaus and the biggest one who represented the top talent was Washington Speakers Bureau. They had every sports person, every TV person, every politician. And Madam Barbara was going to call them. So I just picked up the phone and called and they put me through to an agent. And I said, you know, uh, my name is Barbara Fulmer. I have a keynote and I have spent the last X amount of years in healthcare. And I had built my website by then to look like I was somebody. And um, she said, this is interesting. I might have a client in like a, a couple of months because they book early. And she said, I'm going to send you an onboarding package. Great. She sends me an onboarding package. I'm like, yeah, I'm filling it out. And I get to the line where it says, and include a one hour <laughs> DVD of your speech and a five minute demo. And I'm like, I haven't even given my speech. I haven't really even put it together like in the PowerPoint slide business. So I panicked because I thought if I don't respond quickly, this is gone. So I got my 
I, I did what I typically do when I'm a little stressed. I get in my car. I was driving around on Long Island and I'm just trying to like calm down and get an idea of how to progress here. And I saw the uh, Melville Marriott and I pulled off. It was like Christmas time. And I thought I'm going to go sit in the lobby with the tree and the pretty Christmas things. And I went in and as I'm coming in the door, a group is coming out and I hear them say, that speaker was so good. They were just, and I was like, speaker, speaker. So I went in and I looked around and I found their biggest ballroom and it had been uh, set up for like 500, 800 chairs and they were breaking it down. And I stared at that room and thought, why don't I just give my speech to an empty room? How are they gonna know anybody's there? I'm in a big old room. I get a videographer. I can alert myself, I'll, I'll stay up all night and put this speech together on PowerPoint and learn it. And I went to the, um, the I don't know, it was the catering department or the, who it was I went to and said, who do I talk to about booking a ballroom? Uh, I just need it for two hours. And she said, listen, with this one that we're breaking down is available tomorrow. It was like tomorrow or the next day or something. And only two hours, it's like $200 sold. Thank you. And I need a videographer too. She was like, oh, that guy should be around here. That, that last group had somebody and I grabbed him. He was in for it. And I studied up, I showed up there, he showed up. All the chairs are empty. I got, I paid for the big screen and I gave the speech of my life to that date to nobody. And I even talked to them like, yeah, yeah. And what do you, you in the back, you're, yeah. Oh, you agree. Thank you. I was just calling on people, everything. And then the videographer laid down the ambient noise. He put in the laughter. He put in, um, I don't know what else he did in it. It see you never saw any heads of anybody, but it was clear it was a big room. And I sent it and I that gig was gone and I never worked with Western with Washington Speakers Bureau, but I sent it out to other Speakers Bureau and bureaus and I got like six of them to put me on their website, hire me. I did gigs for Anthem Blue. I did several for Anthem Blue Cross for different employer groups or their municipalities. I did uh, Southern Cal or South Carolina Blue Cross hired me for th to give the same speech three days in a row to their clients um, HR group. So, but the, the other side of that is today, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a very good speech. It, it, it taught them a lot because I was a trainer, but I wasn't, I may have been in, funny in places, but it wasn't entertaining. It wasn't, um, I didn't, I didn't do what a, what a keynote should be doing. Like, like Bill said the other day about your, your why and, all, and leave them with the message 
for 30 days from now? What are you going to remember about this 30 days from now? I don't know what they remember 30 days. I know I got repeat business from some of the speakers bureaus, which was good, but it was just. <laughs> Barbara, part of, part of what I'm taking away though, <clears throat> as what maybe is most valuable is that you went from a young uh, woman, uh, a young uh, woman in a career uh, who was fearful to you made the leap and you figured it out over and over and over and over again. And you'd be amazed at how many keynote speakers gave a lot of keynote speeches, not really understanding uh, the makeup of a great keynote speech. Right. Um, you know, you went from experience to experience and you really went from fearful to no fear. And that's, that is inspired. Um, Barbara, as we come to a close for this mm -hmm. uh, interview, somebody who is out there listening to this, because uh, so many have the dream to uh, write a book. They have that book inside of them. They have that speech uh, that they want to give. What, what, would, what piece of advice would you give to somebody who sort of is that stallion in the gate, who is, who is afraid to mm -hmm. make that call or take that leap or let go uh, of that position? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love that phrase, if it is to be, it's up to me. Mm. And it's a, it's a gentle phrase, but it's so powerful. And um, I use that in my coaching business with people who are afraid to make that next step or to leave their job or go somewhere else. Um, and I, I think I, I would probably not only tell them that that your career doesn't have to be one stop after the next. It's a path, it develops as you go, but it develops because you're paying attention to it and you're looking at it. Also, if it's a young person, I would have them sincerely take some assessments like a, a DISC or a Myers-Briggs or even, I have the simplest, one in the world that you can that all of us could do right now on a piece of paper that is just draw a circle and divide it into three sections of what how much time you want to spend with people with data and with things and that tells you about you the first step and this is why plans don't work for young people who whose parents say you're going to go into the family business or they get their degree and they end up working in that field and they're not happy about that they don't know themselves yet so um, that's that's part of what I would I would tell someone. I mean, probably the first things. Barbara, thank you so much for being with us uh, today. And uh, the book is First Have No Plan. I will look forward to buying one of the first copies. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate oh. it. Thank you, everyone, oh. for sticking around. I appreciate it. Oh, you bet. Thank you, everyone. And that's a wrap.